Blog Talk Radio. Good evening. Peace be upon you all. With God's name, merciful benefactor, merciful demon. This is your host and producer, John Nashi, Blog Talk Radio. Broadcasting from upstate Orange County, 7 p.m. every Thursday evening. Tune in to us and we have some very interesting uh, programs. Uh, it's a continuation now from a series of talks that we have. I believe this is the fifth uh, week, and we have been talking about uh, slavery. And actually, the title, the initial title, is Alice Long in America, established by former plantation slaves, African Americans <clears throat> in this uh, country, United States of America. And the topics that we had addressed is slavery, the emancipation, uh, reconstruction, Jim Crow, and last week we covered the civil rights movement. And uh, just to give us some insight on the progression of the life of African-American people in America and coming through all of this confusion in the minds of slave people robbed of the knowledge of themselves and coming into the religion of Alice Long in a very strange way. You know, same, a peculiar, strange institution of slavery and coming out of that institution and coming into Alice Long in also a strange and peculiar way, but nonetheless being introduced to uh, Alice Long through the nation of Islam and its preparation and a lot of things were dealt with that, the psychological effects of slavery and the kind of language that was used to draw attention away from the old slave teachings and the religion of uh, Christianity as it was given to us. And uh, many of us believe even to today that religion was a strong tool to keep us incarcerated and worshiping a master that was quite naturally not God, but was given to us as God in the form of a white man. And we know that that white man was, you know, in the past a slave master and coming out of emancipation and uh, struggling along to establish ourselves or before we established ourselves, we were given a white Caucasian image to worship. So we're going back in the history and we're bringing that history up to draw a picture of the life struggle of our people, of African-American people, people, unique people, who made a very serious contribution to the United States of America. And uh, this topic that we're going to be speaking about today is the nation of Islam in its transition into Al-Islam, Al-Islam meaning the true religion of Islam based in the Quran, the Holy Quran, the Word of God, and also the traditions of Prophet Muhammad, uh, peace and blessings of God be upon him. <clears throat> and we welcome you, as always, to uh, be with us. Today is the 24th, November 24th, and it's the uh, uh, Thanksgiving. And uh, quite naturally, we're not of the mind that the American history books give us for Thanksgiving, but every day is Thanksgiving for a believer, one who believes in God, and we thank God for blessing us with the bounty that he has given us, especially family, family life. So this is a great opportunity for families to come together and sit down and have a meal that God has provided for us, and uh, we thank him, and uh, we can't thank him enough. And uh, God knows best. Uh, actually, let me introduce you to my website. I have a website. It's newmind, or nmm-dp.com, and that's New Mind Development Project. And uh, you can go on that website at any time. Also, there's a blog that, with a link. You can go to my blog and read the, the uh Post that I have presented, and uh, also Twitter. 
John Nashee, J-O-H-N-N-A-S-H-I-D. Uh, 1930, we're talking about, I, I believe we mentioned that last week we spoke on civil rights. And, you know, when we speak on mentioned civil rights, let's be very clear that civil rights are laws that was initiated by man to govern his society. And uh, the, the civil rights movement was fighting and struggling and risking their lives, putting their life on the line for civil rights, man's law. They wanted to be recognized under man's law. But, you know, what's more important than civil rights is your human rights, your inalienable rights, according to the Constitution. It's right in the Constitution. And this human rights, these human rights are God-given rights. This is the law of God that every human being on this planet Earth should have human rights, the rights that God gives. So which is more important, more important, quite nasty, is the right that God gives, human rights. And many of our people have given their lives for the rights of man, laws that was written, established in this land to govern the land for the benefit of not uh, African-American slave people, but the benefit of masters. And I know a lot of times we don't like to hear this kind of language, you know. We think we're by this, but we're not by this, because any time you find people uh, running people over trucks in the south and dragging them, dragging their body along just because they're black, calling them derogatory names, nigger and N-word names like that nature, then quite nicely it's not over. Uh, as a matter of fact, if we don't acquire the kind of knowledge that we need to contend with this negative language, then quite naturally we're going to be in some very serious problems. So God is guiding us, and quite naturally God is the best guide. Nation of Islam. What was the nation of Islam? What was the nation of Islam all about? And, you know, keep in mind that the civil rights movement, you know, going back, and we talked about, you know, how it started last week, and we're not going to go back into that. But a lot of people put their life on the line to acquire these kinds of rights. Nation of Islam, people in the Nation of Islam, 1930, were dissatisfied. They were members of the Nation of Islam, members of the church, uh, and becoming dissatisfied with, you know, uh, just being second class at the bottom, citizens, uh, separate separation, segregation, and things of that nature, you know, 1930. And remember the Roaring Twenties the and, you know, the mobsters, Al Capone and um, gin and whiskey being sold and, and the uh, uh, FBI and you know, all of these things that was taking place. People were destroying each other, killing each other just for wealth and the atmosphere for African-American people were poverty. It was a time of depression, very serious poverty in, in the land. And if it affected Caucasian people, then we can just imagine how it affected African-American people. Uh, the atmosphere in America in the 1930s, especially in the South for black people, was a time of constant terror, ignorance, and poverty. And we know this because many of our parents coming up from the north, coming to the north, when they had the opportunity to flee the south, just like fleeing a war zone. And I remember being a little boy, my grandmother came up later, and they had many stories. My mother had stories to tell about the south and how difficult it was and how how cruel folks was in these uh, 1930s and 40s, even the 50s. And uh, remember that the uh, civil rights law wasn't signed until the 60s. That wasn't too long ago. It says, although the chains were removed from the feet, the hands and the feet of the slaves, they were very skillful in selling our people on a religion called Christianity. And, uh, you know, I'm not 
saying that to be disrespectful to people who believe in Jesus, what Jesus taught, but much of what I'm talking about is not what Jesus taught. Jesus was a prophet of God, and he was a, a good uh, person, and uh, he represented God's uh, message to mankind, to bring mankind back to the path. But the religion that was given to slaves was far removed of what Jesus represented, peace be upon him. So they gave us this religion and in the form of the worship, as I mentioned earlier, of a white man, the religion called Christianity. Uh, and this religion had enslaved the minds of black people in America during that period. You know, I, I saw that. I traveled somewhat in different places that I have went. I went to California, north and south. I've been to the islands. I've been to the Dominican Republic. And most, many of these people are Christians. And how do they become Christians? The same way uh, that African-American people in the south became Baptist Christians uh, by the slave masters. And... Uh, Catholics went into South America. They went into the island, different places. They claimed it. They gave the people their form of what they call Christianity. Enslaved the minds of the people, and the people were bowing and worshiping to a white god in the flesh, Baptist and also Catholic. And uh, this is what is, I believe, is what is enslaving the people of the earth right now. As I speak, as I talk to you right now, enslaving the minds of the people, this false doctrine called Christianity. <clears throat> and quite uh, nicely, God is the best knower. Christianity was like the thorns that was placed on the head of Jesus and pressed into the flesh, and right into the brain. Uh, the thorns pressed right into the brain. That's that is great significance. And uh, we don't have time to go into a lot of these things that we mentioned because our leader, Imam Wadi Muhammad, was a very thorough teacher. And uh, I'm encouraging each and every one of you that if you didn't hear about Imam Wadi Muhammad, to go online or find a Muslim who follows his leadership and try to understand more about what Imam Wadi Muhammad represented in his short life from. 1975 to 2008. Read his his transcripts. Read his language. Study his language for better and proper understanding. A religion that supported the worship of a white man called the Son of God. One in a trinity, actually three into one: the Father, the Son and the Holy Ghost, all representing God in three parts. Uh, this kind of religion tore the black man into pieces because the concept of Trinity, if it's not explained properly, then quite naturally it'll tear anybody into pieces because we say that God is one, or they say that God is one, but he's divided into three parts. So that'll keep you busy for a while trying to find some understanding. Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Ghost is God. And our religion, we understand the the Father is Allah or God. And the Son, not a physical son, but the Son who had who has the light, is the messenger of God. And this message was brought by the Holy Spirit. So we don't see these three as one. We see them as separate entities. That Allah is God. And he is one and self-sufficient within himself. And he sends the sun, not the sun in the physical body, but the light. He gives the light. And that light carries the message from God to the people through the angel Jibreel, which is the spirit. They call him the Holy Ghost, and we call it the Holy Spirit. But nonetheless, the same concept and idea 
was taken out of the order that God put it in and put into another order for a specific purpose. And a man can spend his whole life trying to figure how you can put three into one. It just don't work. Elijah Poole was uh, an African-American man. He came from a rather large family. He lived in Georgia, in Sandersville, Georgia, a rural southern farm land area. His father was a Baptist preacher. Uh, I believe he went to grade school a few years, maybe third grade, fourth grade, you know, which was really accounted for nothing. And I visited Sandersville, Georgia, that area. Actually, it's not, he didn't really come from Sandersville, but somewhere in that area. But I guess if you went to one place, you went to a Mars. It's a farm, big farming area. You see farming equipment and big spools of straw uh, rolled up for, you know, after the harvest time. <laughs> and uh, many of the people who lived there were probably sharecroppers or belonged to those plantations at some point in time. And, you know, education wasn't the order of the day. Uh, the order of the day was uh, fielding the harvest, working in the fields, bringing in the harvest for very, very little money. The land was owned by the farmer who owned the farmland. He owned the house that you lived in. He owned the general store. So all of your proceeds that you earned went right back into your food. It went right back into your lodging. So it was like a scam, and you never were able to get out of that. Even in the time of freedom, uh, separation, equality, but separate, even in that point, never would be able to get out of it. So this is the kind of time or circumstances, situation or atmosphere that Elijah Muhammad was growing up in. And this was, as I mentioned, was a time of uh, uh, Jim Crow. Separation, the separation of the races. Like many black men at that time who were made to feel less than a man. Took to drinking alcohol and hanging out with the boys. You know, so quite nasty if you're drinking alcohol and hanging out with the boys, then quite nasty is a breakdown in family life. The children, the fight, wives are not being provided for. That's not only among African Americans also study the uh, Indians or Native Americans on plantations. Over a period of time, when you begin to feel less than a man, you can't take care of your family, and you can't uh, provide for your wife and your household, and men tend to take to drinking, hanging out to be away from the wife, you know, what we call nagging. But it's not really nagging to be hurtful is nagging to try to get you motivated. Some people don't know how to use psychology to motivate people. So they nag, they holler, they fuss, they cuss. And this is what we this is where we find the uh Elijah Muhammad and uh his wife, Clara Muhammad. She was a good Christian woman. And she believed in Christianity. She was a believer in God. And uh she visited one of the meeting places of Farad. Farad was the teacher of the Ambarada Muhammad. And uh, he came to him with a very strange message. It was a different message from what he heard in the streets. And also it was a different message from what his wife Clara Muhammad heard in Clara Pool. Uh, we can't say Muhammad as yet because he hadn't taken on that name, but the last name was Pool. And uh, this was a different message from what she was accustomed to. And the message was that the white man is the devil and the black man is God. And that message alone drew her attention because it wasn't what she heard before. And then when she heard that the white man was the devil, then it kind of rang a bell because of the behavior. And if you listen to some of the segments that I spoke about in past weeks, Emmett Till, for example, only a devil could do something like that to a people. Only a devil could rape and rob uh, women 
men of their dignity, and only a devil could enslave a people into what is called shadow slavery and rob them of the knowledge of himself and his kind. So she understood that, that he said, well, let me investigate this. The white man is the devil. And he also talked about, uh, in his meeting places, uh, dignity and respect for the black man. Now, quite naturally, Clara Muhammad loved her husband very dearly, and she saw him on the streets drinking and doing the kinds of things that's contrary to family life, and she wanted dignity and respect for her husband, like most women, regardless. Uh, she took him to the, to the temple or to the meeting place to meet Farad Muhammad. And it was in Detroit at that time when he came up out of the South in 1930. And uh, she brought him there and he listened to the teachings and he accepted the teachings of Farad Muhammad. Now, at that time, it was also a a movement in America drawing itself or leaning itself back to Islam. And as I mentioned earlier, <clears throat> that many of the slaves who came to America was from the West Africa. And many of those West Africans were Muslim. Even today, Christians have done a lot of propagation work there. They have converted quite a few Africans, but nonetheless, the majority of Africans who put their feet on the soil of America in slavery was from West Africa. And Noble Drew Ali and Farad Muhammad, you know, they came with a, with a language. Language wasn't Islamic language, but nonetheless it was a language to draw uh, the attention away from the ideas that was given to us here in slavery from the Christian religion and draw that attention away and bring them in line or put them in line to make a transition back into Al-Islam. And uh, Al-Islam, as we know, is a religion. It has a set of principles that have been recognized in the world for, say, 1,430-some-odd years. So it's not a... It's not the oldest religion, but it's not a new religion. It's been here for over 1,400 years. <laughs> the messenger of God, the prophet Muhammad, um, bringing that message for the benefit of mankind. And uh, we have that message right now, right here in the United States of America. So if we study the uh, transition of the slave from slavery Throughout the history, we'll see we'll see African Americans coming into true Islam, and we also can see that the opposition is working against the establishment of Al Islam. You know what slave master would want to see his slaves stand up and be respected and dignified and care for themselves and for the needs of their wives and their children. Matter of fact, educate their own children. <clears throat> Not necessary that we go to public school and be educated by people who are not giving us proper education or going to purchase food and medicines and things of that nature, people who don't take our interests at heart and bring us the inferior products, waste of what their society has, what they reject, they give it to us. No, we should be capable, well capable of standing up for our own, producing our own needs. And this is what Al-Islam is directing us to. So just imagine a man who has enslaved, and then he sees the benefits of Al-Islam, and then he starts to work against Al-Islam. And we see that right now, right here in America. Taking place every day. The, uh, the word terror is associated with Muslims or Islam in the minds of many people who read the American media, newspapers and televisions and reports of that nature, they they identify Al Islam in that context. And this is why it's so important that we understand our history, where we came from, how we evolved and the transition that 
coming into the nation of Islam and growing out of that language, that old myth, uh, symbolic, uh, metaphoric kind of language and growing into the word of God and reality of God and progressing to where we need to be. You know, I received a, a email from a friend of mine, and uh, it was an article by a fellow by the name of Herbert Burke, B-E-R-G, and it's called Myth-Making in the African-American Muslim Context, the Moorish Science Temple, the Nation of Islam, and the American Society of Muslims. And... Uh, He's giving an overview about the, really the language of the nation of Islam. And uh, he's saying that it's based on myths. Myths. And uh, myth, a myth is something that tells a story, but it's not true. And uh, quite nicely, that's a fact. Uh, Farad Muhammad and even Drew Ali, noble Drew Ali, uh, they gave the people a religion in a, in a in a symbol, symbolic way. But the message was very clear behind the symbols or the myths for those who could read and understand. But, you know, when God guides the individual people, especially when that people is a people of ignorance and ignorance and darkness, then God don't set you or lose, turn you loose on your own. He sends guidance. He sends messengers to you to guide you along the way in every step or every stage of your development. And believe me, God is the best knower. So we don't have to depend on the master who enslaved the minds and reduced the people to the lowest level of any human on this planet Earth. We don't have to depend on that. We put our complete trust in God and God alone. You know, in this article, I'm going to read a little, you know, to give us, uh, you know, a little clarity on where he's coming from. Uh, this is like an introduction here. It says, two of the earliest uh, African-American Muslim movements, the Moorish Science Temple founded by Noble Drew Ali and the Nation of Islam founded by Wali Farad Muhammad, and developed by the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, taught that taught that Islam was the original and inherent religion of African Americans. Each re-envisioned the origin of the races and of Islam. Noble Tree Drew Ali viewed African Americans as Black Asiatics and descendants of the kingdom of Moors. Farad Muhammad and Elijah Muhammad saw African Americans as the descendants of the original black humanity, who later produced the wicked white race. More recently, Imam Warranty Muhammad, leader of the American Society of Muslims, had suggested that the mythology developed by his father, Elijah Muhammad, was part of a of, of some grand scheme to bring African Americans to Orthodox Islam. And that's another term that Imam Warthi Muhammad used. He doesn't use that term, Orthodox Islam. That's the writer's term. These reinterpretations of the history are best seen as a product Interrelated activities of social formation and myth making. And uh, so uh, this is his his view. Actually, he's quite a few pages in the in the article. I hadn't had time to read the whole article, but nonetheless, he's done some very serious studies. <clears throat> and uh, there's a battle for the minds of men. And this is why it's so important for many of us who were there and many of us who are Muslims who came, our fathers came through that experience, and we really need to go back and study the nation 
of this off. Don't think we're so high and mighty that we don't uh, have the time to reverence the womb that bore us. The nation of Islam produced us, whether we like it or not. And there was some language in there that quite nicely wasn't, as he says, orthodox. But nonetheless, it was a language to straighten out the confusion in the unorthodox treatment or unorthodox mind of African-American people. So if we either bought true Islam, the Quran, traditional Sunnah Prophet Muhammad, after undergoing the uh, false concepts that was fed to us in the religion of Christianity, we would have rejected it automatically. But it was a gradual process over time that God allowed, and he allowed it for from 1930 to 1975. God is the best Noah. Another statement he makes here is, Muslims living in North America have had the unique opportunity to define and redefine Islam for almost a century without significant interference or opposition from Muslims from the more traditional understanding of Islam talking about the Islamic world. Many of these Muslims have seized this freedom to experiment with novel novel concepts and formulation of Islam. Uh, It says, the danger of innovation and deviance. In other words, if we're experimenting with uh, understanding of Islam, then we run the risk of innovating and becoming deviant. And this is his outlook. Uh, I'd just like to say this personally for my own self, is that if I was had not come through the nation of Islam, I couldn't even see myself following idea of Islam from what we call the Islamic world, the Middle East, Pakistan, maybe other places. I couldn't I couldn't even see that. I couldn't even, I really couldn't see it. Actually I don't even see it today. I mean the process that we came through, transition, clearing out our mind and understanding and putting us back on the right course. And quite naturally these the proper process for the right development three stages of development that we went through. Uh, actually, a state of being deaf, dumb, and blind, black, not black in color, but black in ignorance, and then a resurrection from the grave and the uh, nation of Islam, bringing us or resurrecting us from the grave of ignorance under the teachings of God Muhammad and Elijah Muhammad. And there's a very powerful book that he put out. It was called Message to the Black Man. Uh, still wobbling, but nonetheless out of the grave. That message of the black man brought us out of the grave. Knees were wobbling, but nonetheless out of the grave. Uh, of complete death and ignorance. See, as long as a person is in a grave, the grave of ignorance in the world. In other words, the walking dead, walking around in the world dead, then quite nicely you're going to be manipulated on every level. You see African Americans, the economics, as far as managing and running their households, as far as business is concerned, as far as education is concerned, hasn't grown since the civil rights. Few of us have made some success, but the majority of our people addicted to drugs and alcohol, just don't feel good about themselves. This is the year 2008. So the period that we went through in the nation of Islam, 1960s for myself, resurrected me from the grave of ignorance and put me up on a level playing field. As I mentioned, legs and knees still wobbling, but nonetheless uh, on an equal that I could strive and struggle to be as great as I desire to be. And then that period of the third 
second, we call it the second resurrection, just for language's sake, identification's sake, the second resurrection under the teachings of Imam Warthi Muhammad, evolving in degrees of light until the light of the intellect was completely on. So he went back and he started to clarify things. And you know when a person of God is blessed, because you could see it in the development of the people. And anybody who would go back before the 60s, go back in the 50s, the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, see the state of African-American people. Some of all of us wasn't doing drunkards or extreme in those areas, but nonetheless, jahaliyyah or darkness or ignorance is the same. You could be drunk in jahaliyyah, you could be educated in the world or this world and still be a jahiliyyah. And you can be in religion and still be a jahiliyyah, the darkness of ignorance. And God's message is a message of progression. Just like we see the sun rising in the morning at dawn, we call it project time. And there's a clear indication of light and darkness. Right now, I see more darkness, but then we see an indication of light on the horizon, and eventually the light becomes totally illuminated. Now, that picture is not just for the horizon or the atmosphere. That picture is really talking about human life. That's how all human life, actually, that's how all life comes into existence. It comes from darkness, and it gradually evolves into light, into the total illumination. And if we study the book of God, the message that God sent to his, his uh, messenger, the prophet to mankind, and study nature, then we'll see exactly what God is uh, directing us to, because God is the best knower. <clears throat> Praise be to God. With the exception of Farad Muhammad, his unorthodox message, with the exception of Farad Muhammad's unorthodox message, the traditional orthodox or so-called orthodox Muslim world never took the time to seek out their lost uh, Muslim brothers and sisters enslaved in America under a peculiar form of slavery, robbed of the knowledge of self, their land, their people, their culture, their God, their name, all of these things. They never took time to come to America to seek us out. Where is my lost brothers? Where is my lost sisters? Quite nicely, they know history. They read history. They weren't in a in a, in, in, a, in a void, they know exactly what took place in that big uh, exodus of slavery, slaves, Muslim slaves coming across the Atlantic Ocean being enslaved in America. And this fellow, Mr. Berg, he's telling us that the Muslims living in North America uh, have to qualify what we are being taught by orthodox people of a tra more traditional understanding of Islam. No, no, no. <laughs> if God raises up one from among us, Allah guides us and raises one up from among us, whoever God sees fit to guide us, then quite naturally he'll guide us. See, we don't live our life from 1,400 years ago we live our life by the concepts, the message that Prophet Muhammad is bringing to us, those concepts and ideas that we develop it into modern times. We don't live in yesterday. You know, we live in today. We live in modern times. Actually, Muhammad, we believe that he is the Mujaddid. Mujaddid is, Christians call it a religious person, a reviver who comes at like Martin Luther, for example, he comes and revives the old understanding and brings it into new understanding. 
we're not living in yesterday. You know, we don't ride camels. You know, we don't necessarily, if you want to, quite nicely, it's up to you, eat our food with our hands. We use forks today. You know, we don't wear the garments of old. We wear garments that we design and style, which are modest and dignified. And also for our women, modest dress for our women, not drab clothing of the old. No, color, clothing with color in it and design in it, designed by the women who wear the clothes. This is what we encourage. This is what our leader, Imam Warthi Muhammad, encourages us to be the designers of our life. So, no, we're not going, going back. And even our scholarly brothers studying the Quran and the Sunnah and the Arabic language, we don't have to go back what he calls the more traditional understanding of Islam. And in many cases, many of these uh, scholars or so-called scholars, they can't figure out a way how Muslims could stop killing Muslims in the world on a big, large scale. Uh, actually, independence for survival is the West, more so than the Quran. When I say the West, I'm talking about America and Europe. Today, they can't even help themselves with their orthodox understanding of Islam. With all of their oil in their kingdoms, they are depending on the West for their survival. And uh, the people, common people, are still suffering as a result of their ignorance and greed. And Islam or al-Islam is for the benefit of the people. And when the leader stands out in front of the people, his purpose is the people. In other words, if you don't have the people's interests at heart, then you should resign. You should close down your kingdom and allow individuals to come into those positions who fear God. And God only sends us, he only puts us in the leadership over people as far as Islam is concerned for the benefit of the people. Not only the people who call themselves Muslim, but Christians and Jews and Buddhists and Hindu or anybody who believe in God. And even if you don't believe in God, we still have a responsibility to provide a base, basic life for every human being on earth. This is the religion of Islam, and this is what the nation of Islam was preparing us for, to stand up straight, the, the right foods to eat, how to eat to live, to clean our bodies out from all of the poison and inferior foods that was given to us over a long period of time, to be respectful for our women, <clears throat> to be learn how to become businessmen, learn how to trade, learn how to be dignified and clean and respectful, the nation of Islam. Now, just put the, 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 the ideology or the doctrine out of our minds. That doctrine was designed for something also. It was to remove us away or contend with the doctrine that was given to us by the world of the slave master in America, to contend with them and to undo that false message, and then eventually <clears throat> to kill them both. That was the purpose of the Ambalazim. I remember Ambalazim Muhammad made a statement, and he mentioned in a general meeting, a public meeting, he said that he had a Caucasian, something to this effect, that he had a Caucasian with him on a podium, and if he treats you with respect, treat him with respect. Now, that was unheard of. Actually, we never had any Caucasian on the podium. We didn't allow him to come into our meeting. But what he did was his, his message was coming to a conclusion, and he said in that message, if this man treats you with respect, treat him with respect. What does that mean? That means that you're both equal. Don't let him disrespect you. But if he treats you with respect, treat him with respect. So he dismissed his message not soon after. After that, his son, Imam Martin Muhammad, came into office, and he started guiding us along the path. And the first thing he taught us was tawhid, or the belief in the oneness of God. And you know what really caused me to 
really see and understand what the nation of Islam and the Abu'l-Aziz of Muhammad was all about. Uh, and Imam Muhammad Muhammad is because Abu'l-Aziz Muhammad mentioned when he was sick and dying, I believe he was dying at that, that, that time, he called for his son and he told his son that he can go anywhere now and teach that message because his son never gave into the message of the nation of Islam. He was one who knew Islam. He believed in God. God, Allah, God. Uh, he believed in that. And his father had put him out on maybe three occasions, excommunicated him from the community. And before he died, he told Imam Wati Muhammad, he said, and now you can go and teach your religion. I think he mentioned your religion or the religion that he believed in. And that was Alice Law. <laughs> and that's exactly what he did. He transitioned, transitioned, he transitioned the nation of Islam, transitioned from the nation of Islam to Alice Law. And, and for us, it was under the leadership of Imam Wardi Muhammad. And he didn't encourage us to go and read the books of the scholars of the past. He told encourage us to be the scholars of the future. In other words, don't go back looking for the past. He probably would have said go back and look for the past if the past had done some justice, but the past didn't do any justice to their own self. So quite naturally, they couldn't help a person or a people who was under a strange, peculiar institution of slavery people who had lost the knowledge of themselves, their land, people, etc. God had blessed us African-American Muslims in America, lost in America, to be found by an unorthodox message. Not the orthodox Muslims. They didn't even come to look for us. But here's an individual who came from the, 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 the Imam Wadi Muhammad said he believed he came from the land <coughs> of India, what they call Pakistan now. And he concocted an orthodox message to draw us away from the influence of American society or the religion, false religion and false ideas that they have sold us. And he used this language from many, many sources, from noble to Ali, from slave, from the civil rights, from a lot, a lot of places that he took information. And he put this together and he drew us away, drew us from the left more to the right and from the right more to the left, pulling us and drawing us into the center, balanced mind. With God's help, we are and have been lifting ourselves up from the state of hell we experience at the hands of America. All praise is due to Allah. All praise is due to God. Not Arabs or the so-called Muslim world. You know, they had a saying in civil rights time was pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. And uh, under the leadership of Imam Warthi Muhammad and also under the leadership of uh, That's exactly what we did. You know, Mr. Berg stated that Muslims living in North America have had the unique opportunity to define and redefine Islam for almost a century without significant interference or opposition from Muslims with more traditional understanding in Islam. <laughs> Muslims living in America under the leadership of Imam Wadi Muhammad have been qualified by 400 years of trials and tribulations to be guided by God, to understand God's guidance for us and the world in 2011. So you're going to find these Muslims that you're talking about being traditional, more traditional, you're going to find them coming to North America looking for guidance. You know, as the Christian books say as the light shineth in the West, <laughs> you know. So uh, uh, this is the guidance that God gives us in quite nasty God's piece of truth. <laughs> Even as the light of the world is being turned on, 
today we have wars and rumors of wars, a sign of the end of time. God bless the people on the bottom to be on the top. As a matter of fact, the people Mr. Berg is referring to, the more traditional Orthodox Muslims in the so-called Muslim world, needs to observe the new light shining in the West. You know, Prophet Muhammad stated on Mount Arafat that perchance the last to hear his message might understand it the best. And who's the last to hear his message? Right here in North America, African America. Also, God, they said, that he he blesses whomsoever he wills with understanding. That's God. He can put whatever he wanted into the heart, into the soul of the individual, into their mind to become teachers and guides, whoever he desires. No one specific person that you select. No, this is God's work. And the Bible states also, as the light shineth from the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. And that man or that son that we're talking about is not a son or a physical son, it's the light. See, this is the language that they use to trick us. They use the language, metaphors and myths and things of that nature. And this is what the myth makers put it together. And Imam Warren B. Muhammad came as the myth breaker. He came to break up the myths. And this word son or S-O-N, in reality, is S-U-N. It's talking about the light. So Jesus was not the physical son of God. Jesus was the light of God, meaning the knowledge, the wisdom, the insight. And also man, Imam Wadi Muhammad told us very thoroughly, that man means mind. And you see the word man in Scripture talk about the mind, the intellect. So as the light shineth from the west, so shall the coming of the sun, the light of man, the light of mind, the light that will enlighten the mind be. Alhamdulillah, the light of the knowledge. The new light is dynamic and progressive, moving forward looking back only to look forward. The traditional Muslim world will never be able to lead the African-American former slaves in America from behind. Never. God gave us the freedom, the free will, to be free thinkers, as he did us all when he revealed, read, Ikra, read, means to think, it means to teach in his name what he created, the nature of his creation, not the literal, but the obvious. What is what is obvious in that literal message? You know, what stands out in the literal message, what's hidden in the, 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 the literal message. And uh but what it implies not the literal, not the obvious, but what it implies. In other words, think deep. Think deep into the literal. Or what is obvious to us has another meaning. It implies something deeper. And these are the religious leaders of the world who can look into the creation or look into the word of God and read more into what it implies opposed to its literal message. Our thinking is not an experiment with novel concepts and formulations of Islam, but based on the reality of God's creation in progression. And innovation is when you change something, having a different perception from that of others. It is not innovation, but healthy in Islam. It furthers the understanding of Islam. What is the meaning of Islam? Submission to God. As a result, peace. Islam is a complete way of life for human beings, 
not a religion as we know religion, but a way of life. <clears throat> the Morris Science Temple, Noble Drew Ali, and the nation of Islam, Father Muhammad, Elijah Muhammad, saw the need for a religion for black people different from that of the white man religion and his God, Christianity. They saw Christianity as death for black people, false concepts, false religion, false gods holding our people in slavery. Return to your own. Accept yourself and be yourself. That's the message of the Nation of Islam. The Nation of Islam message was designed to be a reverse psychology. Example, the white man God was replaced by the black man God. And at the end, opening the door to the elimination of both, leaving the community prepared to receive the light of true Islam under Imam Wadi Muhammad's teachings. The Nation of Islam's message was dated for a time from 1930 to 1975. It was, <clears throat> race was a big part of the teachings of the Nation of Islam because it was racism that kept us enslaved even after slavery ended, Jim Crow, equal but separate. In order to give in order to give the poor, ignorant black uh, people a black God, they had to destroy the white God. And in order to give them the true God, Tawheed, Imam Warthi Muhammad had to destroy the black God. Praise be to God. Imam Miss Imam Warthi Muhammad used his language to deal with the old myth language of the church and the nation of Islam from nineteen seventy five to two thousand and eight. A community in transition to undo the psychological effects of slavery and the language of the nation of Islam. Mr. Bird called this myth revision, revision, a myth is a false story used to tell a story to the storyteller's liking, trying to explain religions and symbols and metaphors and, and uh, myth, myths, hiding the truth behind the scene. Myths in the Nation of Islam were designed to remove its followers from the Christian myths, which enslaved them, a falsehood expressing a true reality. Mr. Berg said myths could be seen as both true and false. They express the truth, but a truth that is not what it seems. Example, this is the example I'm giving. Jesus is the son of God, the myth. Jesus' son, or Jesus of God, or the light of God, <clears throat> truth. Imam Warthi Muhammad stated that Christianity was hidden in myths to hide the truth. The myth makers, there's a book that is written called The Myth Makers. Imam Warthi Muhammad has become known as the myth breaker. God is the reality. Reality is the unadulterated truth. And uh, we're going to stop right there. We have about uh, 50 seconds left. And uh, we'd like to thank you for being with us this evening. And the introduction for next week's program, we're going to talk about probably a little more on the nation of Islam, and then we're going to jump right over into the Nation of Islam, how it came about, 1975, the passing of the Elijah Muhammad, how Imam Wardi Muhammad took the office, and the slow transition period, and which we're still transitioning in after the death of Imam Wardi Muhammad in 2008. So we'll be transitioning into Islam for many, many years. Many of us, the life that we have right now, you know, we'll still be transitioning. So we thank you for being with us. This is your host, John Nasheed. We'll see you next week, Thursday. Peace be upon you all. Peace.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.